Oh, hey there, folks. This is your host, Kate Gaffney of Service from Hell, just jumping on quickly to let you know that this is a series featuring my friend Pepper Berry. Pepper very patiently recorded this all the way back in December of 2022, and we sat for four hours, and he had so many stories he could have kept going. He had a dinner he had to get to, and I had I looked at the clock, and I was like, oh my god, you have to go. And that was how easy it was to chat with him and listen to his stories, and we were riveted the whole time. So we wanted to give him his due and a proper time where he could have several weeks in a row just to tell his story. And so we're doing that now. It finally felt like we could give him a chunk of time. And things have obviously changed since December of 2022. We are just at a different place. We are the strikes are happening and life is just very different at this stage. But everything that you're going to hear are stories from his past. And they're funny and awesome and wild, and we have to have him back on because four hours actually was not enough time. So um, we're not sure how many episodes we're going to break this into, but please enjoy this series uh, featuring Pepper Berry. You can check the show notes for following him on all of the things, and you can also check the show notes for updates about the show and what we're up to. And we just really appreciate y'all for listening. So please enjoy this Pepper Berry anthology series, whatever you want to call it. Pepper, thank you for your patience. You are a gem. But find him on all the stuff. Hire him to do things for you. Please enjoy this series. Let's get on with the show. Uh, can I get a couple more peas from Peas, pepper, principal, priorities. Okay, and just because I'm going to get asked by listeners, if I ask you if your name is a stage name on the mic, will that offend you? No. Because people are going to ask. Okay. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a show featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles and at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest writer, comedian, director, teacher, improviser and punk Pepper Berry not a stage name. Originally from Texas, Pepper has lived most of his life in LA. After studying film at Baylor University, Pepper started doing stand-up at open mics, uh-oh, at the Funny Bone before moving to Los Angeles to study screenwriting at UCLA. His scripts garnered placements in festivals and eventually got him to his first development deal at Paramount. He then fell into the music scene, playing in bands around the LA punk scene for 15 years, touring the US and recording albums. Songs and albums garnered nominations for indie awards, as well as appearing in films and video games. We'll get into it. Being a fan of SCTV, that's Second City Television, y'all, he began studying at the Second City Hollywood, me too, where he quickly fell in love with improv. He is now a graduate of, get ready, y'all, the Second City, I.O. West, Upright Citizens Brigade, UCB, the Nerdist, Comedy Sports LA, the Second City Directing Program, as well as studying at the Groundlings. He has taught and performed at comedy festivals around the country and is a cast member of the Rockin' Improv. God, I have done this before. And he is a cast member of the Rockin' Awesome Improv Show at Yada. Is that right? Y-A-D-A? Yep. Yada. Okay, at Yada, 
where he is currently a teacher, as well as being a teacher and director at the Second City. Pepper has written and directed scripted and process shows for the Second City Hollywood, including writing and directing the musical What Rhymes with Orange, which was the first premium kids show at the Second City. I better know Pepper through meeting him right now in real time, but having an insane amount of friends in common because Hollywood is small and improv is even smaller. So that said, Pepper, tell us about teaching improv. Do you miss stand-up? How much fun were the groupies when you were a punk? Tell us all the things. <laughs> tell us all the things. <laughs> um, there are no groupies in improv. Let's get that straight. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> really? You think so? I disagree. <laughs> he's, he's so blushing so hard right now. Okay, there's, there might be a couple. There are some stalkers. Maybe yeah, we'll go that that's way. That's a better word. Um... Yeah, but I think you were, you must be, have been ahead of me. You and Val. I think so. At least Carol were ahead. Mm-hmm. And Val and I played on a show together. We were in cast, we were cast mates when it was the really awesome improv show. That's what I remember. At there. Now it's at Yada and it's the rock and awesome improv show. Okay. Most of the same cast. And, uh, but I got into um, improv because my arm was giving me problems. So I'd been playing. We are musicians. All we all have body aches from like <laughs> years of touring and lifting like Marshall half stacks into vans and stuff like that. So everything hurts. We all go to the same chiropractor, and uh, we literally do. He, he works on everybody. And um, so I was getting nerve damage. So my arm was going numb, and so I was like, "Oh, my guitar days are over." So while I was getting treated for that, that's when I discovered that I lived up the street from Second City. I had past it and never and it never connected in my head because i was such a fan of sctv it never hit me that i was like oh yeah second city and then just on a for something to do that month i was like i'm gonna take an improv class and then i was just like oh these are my people that's so cool so you literally because of an injury you were thinking i've got to do something screw it let's do creative yeah it's like that so how were you able, were you able to It wasn't physically- even creative. I was looking for something to make me nervous again. Oh, I love that. So I'd done stand-up, which is the most nervous you can be. Once you do that, you're just like, I, I'm afraid of nothing. Yeah. Bring it on. And then I'd, you know, go on tour and played in front of thousands of people. So it was like the whole, the, all the stage fright was gone. So I was looking for something to do and like improv definitely did it because I almost walked out on my first class. It was getting ready to start. And I was like, I got to get out of here. Really? Like, I remember walking to the top of the steps. And I was like, oh, wait, no, this is why I did This is it. This is the feeling. And I like ran back in. <laughs> You're like, I got it. I'm good. I can leave. Uh, who was your teacher? Do you remember? Martin Garcia. Taste Aww, of Second City. I remember Martin. Mm-hmm. Which okay. I, which is now like my favorite. Like now I teach the Taste of Second City, which I, is one of my favorite classes to teach because it's people just coming in trying to like figure out if they want to be there or not i love it okay so you i want to go back a little bit so into the music scene did you always know like were you raised playing guitar were you always like oh music is what i'm gonna do no no not at all it was um i grew up in texas so moms make you take some sort of music i didn't know that that's a texas thing it's texas thing so moms can brag oh my son plays the piano (laughs) (laughs) so she tried to get me to take the piano and that did not take at all I lasted about a year and then uh for my 10th birthday she bought me a guitar and that stuck and it was just something that you did it's like I wasn't doing anything with it I was just like I knew how to play guitar and but I was really I wasn't really into I I wasn't even into music I was into film and I loved my television and so even in Texas I knew at a very early age that I belonged in LA. I it was just it. like, I don't fit in here. One of these things does it's not, not like belong the here. <laughs> Okay. So you, so you're in Texas. You're like, I was LA always the goal or was it just out of Texas? Uh, LA. 
Okay. So you, Baylor is in, is in Texas. It's in Waco, Texas. Okay. Between like Dallas, Fort Worth and Austin. So why not go to undergrad in SoCal if you knew you were coming to LA? Because I get asked this all the time. Oh, well it was, it was, I didn't, I mean, there was nobody to kind of explain it to me. I had no, I didn't know what the path was. So it was like, thank you. And at the time I was, I just knew I wanted to write. So I didn't know, really know what the path was. And my parents were bent on me staying in Texas. Oh, they were. Yeah. To the point that I was just like, there was actually, when I first came out of here, I'll tell you this story. Uh, my, the first person I ever met in Los Angeles was Oliver Stone. Oh, fuck off. Get up. <laughs> get your shit. Get out of here. Are you joking? So, no. So I was on the phone all the time trying to get jobs out here. And trying to interview is like, I want to be, you know, just give me a PA job, something. So I was constantly calling people. From when you're in from, Texas. From Texas. So okay, what okay. I, when I had graduated from Baylor, I had studied film there. I moved back in with my parents who were living in this little Eastland, Texas, which is like population 6,000. It's like, I mean, footloose. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, so I was doing nothing and just sending out my resume. And my parents were just like, send it out to this TV station and... Waco is like it's like I want to live in Waco for the rest of my life, <laughs> and and on the and then I would drive up to Arlington each week and do open mics at Funny Bone. Whoa. So, and open mics in Texas they're not like open mics here. Plus, it was like this is like 1989, like coming off that like wave that first like big 80s wave. So there was comedy clubs popping up everywhere, and Funny Bone was a chain. So Funny Bone was about the size of like. I don't know. It's maybe the size of Laugh Factory. What's Laugh Factory? Two fifty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so it's about two fifty. Monday night open mic at the Funny Bone, sold out every week. Are you because joking? Because it was just anybody could come. Because it's like fucking Arlington, Texas. There's nothing to do. Aww. So you're. I mean, it's you're awesome. The act. You're it's it. an awesome place to practice. Sure. And, and go up there. So an open mic is just like you're in front of two hundred fifty people every every week. What a gift. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of cool, and then I mean, for my first, I think the first time I went, I I, I auditioned you. They had to you had to be at five minutes, and I went in in the afternoon. You had to audition in front of the Booker with all the other comedians, and she loved my set. And she was like, "You went over by twenty seconds, so I can't put you up tonight." <laughs> and she's like, "Go edit," and so I was like, "All right." So I went home, practiced again, got it down to exactly the thing, and then I went up the next week and killed so it was like you're hooked which i've noticed like comedians that like killed first they come back it ruins them. and the people that don't yep. are like that's it it's I'm like out. that's it i'm out i'm yep. gone yeah uh and then you also you bombed for the next few things you have like, to that's what i did because yeah. I, I killed the first one i was like i'm gonna come back do the exact same thing yeah crickets eat shit <laughs> for the next <laughs> two years like, i was like it was the exact same everything so that's what you start learning is like okay something's different you start kind of like picking apart your set and doing stuff and then i got like MC jobs at another club that was going up another comedy club so I'd go up and like host and bring up other comics and do that and so that's kind of what I was thinking I was like I'll go I'll go out to LA and check out the stand-up scene but I thought that I needed a production job so I was calling out here all the time sending my resume in and I had gotten in touch there used to be a book there was a production book you buy at a bookstore and it just gave you the addresses of everybody. What? Yeah. It was like the production directory. There also used to be an agent's 
hardcover book. Remember, it like was Samuel French or something. Yeah, you Samuel could get, French. Yes, and like if you the, C, view- the CA list was all in red because yeah. we didn't want everything. Yeah, that's right. And stuff. Well, there was a production one too, and I would just sit there and go through. And you had like you know Spike Lee's address for for all that, and like I wrote him a letter, and I wrote I was writing everybody letters, and so I found a guy at Amblin Entertainment that worked kind of in post production of Amblin. Amblin is Steven Spielberg's company, in case anybody listening doesn't know. That is correct. And so he said, it's great. We got on the phone. This is some random person that works at Amblin. Totally random. Okay, okay. And you're actually voice to voice. You're speaking to him. I called him and said like, well, well, look, I would love to come on and interview um, because I'm really looking for a job out there. And he's like, he's like, that's great. You can come out and talk to me, you know, anytime. Like, you know, don't come out here just to talk to me because it's like, that's a big trip. He's He's like, don't. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Of course I wouldn't do that. <laughs> never. I would never immediately book a flight after yeah, this phone exactly. call. And at the same time, I was calling around and I call, I sent uh, Oliver Stone's company a thing and I called them up and said, hey, Amblin wants to talk to me and I'm going to be in town. <laughs> it was like, could I come in? They're like, oh, oh yeah. What day are you going to come out? And I was like, well, did, what's it good for you? <laughs> so, oh my God. So there's like, well, you can come out this time. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And then I, Call the guy back and I was like, you know what? Just so happened, I'm going to be in town this set because Oliver Stone wants to interview me. <laughs> what? How did you have it? See, that's such a good business move. And I would never think to do that. You're leveraging, totally cold, leveraging two it. cold calls against one another. Yeah. But that's LA. That's Hollywood, baby. That's yeah. what you got to do. How did you know to do that? I, I'm just making this up as I go along. That so, is such a good get. So, and you you had to have, it was a good thing I had two because one of them didn't show up. So, <sighs> Amblin didn't show up. Damn. I fly. All the way out here in LA, get my car, and I'm literally here for the day. I'm gonna fly back that night. It's a crisp 24. It's and a you're crisp getting, 24. Ooh. Just in time to get my first parking ticket in Los Angeles. I'll like die. Like, I will die. That's how you knew you were gonna move here. Yeah. You're not officially here until you get a parking exactly. ticket. Exactly. That's amazing. And I get out here and I call um, Amblin. I was like, hey, I'm supposed to meet so and so at this thing. And they're like, oh, let me put you back through. And I get somebody and they're like, oh, he called in sick today. And I was like, son of a bitch. That would have made me so mad. It's like a little heads up would have helped. Would have been great. I know. Ugh. So I'm already, I have no idea where I'm at. Um, so then I drive out to Venice because uh, Stone's out in Venice at the time. Wait, I want to pause because this would have been pre-cell phones. So are you having to Ver- jump? This is 1990. So you're jumping to pay phones and like putting in your quarter, dialing oh, a number. Oh, total pay phones, total maps thomas guide i was just about to say because you're looking at a paper map you're oh the hustle pepper the hustle of that i have no no clue about where i'm at so Um, you're going to venice because oliver stone is in venice yeah over on rose um and you're still hoping did you guys have a firm time you were meeting or were you just gonna yeah three o'clock okay so you're like i gotta get there by three yeah so i hustle over to uh venice i pull into his big giant you know warehouse thingamajabobber and uh I walk in, the place is packed um, because they're in pre-production on the doors. So the receptionist says, um, I said, I'm here you know, to meet with Oliver Stone. They're like, just have a seat. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm watching all these desks, just everyone mopping. It's just madness. And way in the back in this glass conference room is a long table and there's a huge everyone's around this giant table. So obviously like production table going around. Yeah. And at three o'clock on the dot, this man just stands up out of the and just walks across the office. Everything just stopped. And the receptionist came out. She's like, 
Oliver Stone will see you now. <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, he honored a meeting with a I cold mean, call. Like that boom. means you respect the shit out of him. Like he that's was amazing. lovely. So I go into his office. It's just me and him in his office. He's behind his desk with all his Oscars behind him. And he's like, so I looked at your resume. Uh, you obviously really want to work in film. And we have this cool little conversation. He's like, um, well, I'll, put, I'll give your name to our producers and, and we'll see if we can find something for you. And so I was like, okay, that's great. And so I leave. I talk to them. He's, and they're like, yeah, we'll call. we don't have anything right now. We're in pre-production. There's really nothing going on. That it's like, but when we start production, maybe we can, we'll give you a call for a PA spot and stuff. And so I was like, okay, so I'm going to have to wait. So I fly back to Texas and then I go, my parents, super Texan, super religious, super Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm down at their church and they have a prayer list in their Sunday school. And on the prayer list is a prayer for me not to find a job. Now, see, that would piss me I, off. I was fucking pissed. I would have scratched that shit off. And they even had the results. It had like one door open, one door closed. It was like they put the results down. I like will it was like, die. <laughs> and I was just like, like this uh, is sports betting with and, God. And, and like, I know it was totally, and I turned my head. I was like, what is this? And he's like, um, that was your mom's idea. <laughs> and he puts his head down and he like sheepishly walks to the back of the congregation. Are you, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's messed you, up. That's messed up. Okay. So you see that and yeah. you're like, fuck this in your head. Yeah. But are you then, so you now know kind of a timeline when, when the next production, they call me the start? next day. I'll die. I will die. Right. They call now. me the next day. We, they're like, Hey, we're moving offices. Can you come help us move? And I was like, Pepper, you're in Texas. I know. I was like, I was like, yeah, um, absolutely. I was like, I'm in Texas right now. I flew back, but I can totally be out there. And they're like, oh my gosh, no, don't even bother. And I was, and they're like, it's just a one day gig, absolutely. Which they're right. I mean, it would have been ridiculous. But at the same time, I'm just like, I'm so hungry. I'm so, yeah, you're so hungry at the time. You're just disappointed. So at that point, that thing's gone. Um, I talked to the Amlin guy later. He's like, I'm sorry, I missed you. And blah blah blah. He's like, come see me next when you're out here next. Um, by then my parents are kind of getting the hint that especially after I turned down like every Texas job that came my way, <laughs> they're finally like, he's not going to stay. Is this post-graduation from Baylor? So you've like yeah. moved back in with them at 22 and you're like, I am trying to figure out my life. Yeah, totally. Okay. I was there for like six, eight months. But I want to go backwards. So you are saying the the Oliver Stone thing is done because you didn't take that one day gig. You're like, I'm never going to get on their list again. Or was it just done for I that day? I got on his list again. He's okay. still okay. super nice. Okay. I've never worked for him, but he was super nice to me. Okay. Okay. So you st okay. So um, so you We can circle back to that when okay. it comes up. We'll come back to that. Okay. <laughs> Don't so let me forget Oliver's done. Um, this is gonna be real easy for me to remember. <laughs> uh okay, so you so you're in Texas, you're you're turning away all these jobs. You're like, no, I'm not staying here. And this is also pre telephone. So my mom is on she's sneaking on the other extension when I'm taking these things because she's a mom. Are you so, an only child? No. <laughs> <laughs> Are so you the only boy? She's no. This is just Texas mom. This is Texas they're nosy mom? as shit. Oh, so, God. So she's listening on the line of me of them offering me jobs of some TV station, bumfuck wherever, and I'm just like, no, no thanks. thanks. And and Ooh. she's like, she's like, better there's a job. I was like, I'm not gonna. It's like I'm going to Los Angeles. So wow. finally, she was like, okay. She talks to my dad. She's like, he's obviously gonna go. So I packed up my car, drove out here. Now, wait, without any firm offers. So you no. have yet to have met Amblin Guy. The only human you have met so far is the yeah. very unknown Oscar, Oliver Stone. Yeah. So you are you pack up your shit. Are you going by yourself or do your parents go with I'm you? I'm going by myself, but there were a few of us from Baylor that had come out here ahead of me. Okay, so, so you had friends. I had friends. Okay, were you about to live with them? No. 
You better live on stay your own. with them. Okay. I was going to stay with one person for two weeks. And again, my luck again, I get out here, I drive a uh, two day shot. I got it here in the middle of the night. No. The guy's not here. No. So I'm like in Hancock Park <gasps> knocking on oh the door. Oh my God. And he's like, and I was like, where is he at? I was like, in. Was that as dangerous all, then as it is now? No, it's it was, Hancock Park was still nice. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But was, still. He, was, he was on Sycamore. He was oh. in a great neighborhood. Oh, okay. And uh, um, so you're like, what the fuck? It's am I still payphones and stuff. Oh my god! So I'm going. How did I'm trying. Give up. I'm trying to go around trying to find somebody. So I call, I was like, oh, my friend Renee's out here. Bless she was working you, for Jeopardy. Bert. So I call Renee, and she's like, oh my god. Total regular sorority girl. Oh my God, you're right. I was like, yeah, I'm out here. And I'm trying to explain this. Like, uh, I even forgot the guy's name. I think it was, I think it was Scott. Uh, uh, he's not here. I don't know where he's like, oh, my God. you know, it's so funny. I'm on my way to the Emmys. Um, I can't talk right now. And she's just like, <laughs> click. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, wow. um, I'm stranded in Lily. So I drove down La Brea in the middle of the night. And if you go way south, there's the, uh, you probably passed the motel. There's the Foxy whatever motel on the side. And then there's the Hawaiian Gardens motel. I stayed in the Hawaiian Gardens uh, little motel. Looks like a death trap. Was it terrifying? Uh, always terrifying. Well, you had all your stuff in your car. Your car was just yeah. a sitting duck. Totally, totally. Oh, my God. So I, you don't call your mom and say what's happening. Of oh, course not. not. At all. You're not like, at all. yeah, I'm with my friend, of course. And uh, cool. the next day, he, uh, I call and he answers. He's like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I stayed over at my girlfriend's house. I forgot you your, knew I, forgot, I was coming. He was like, I forgot, I forgot you were coming in town. Men are relentless. Like, that would be a wrap on my friendship with that human. I'd be like, we're, we're done now. Yeah. Like, okay. But so he did let me sleep on his floor for two weeks, way longer than he probably thought I'd be there. Okay, fine. Yeah. What and my, uh, my whole plan, my whole dumb plan was I'm going to move to LA. I'd written the screenplay that I wanted Crispin Glover to be in. And I was like, I'm going to find Crispin Glover and I'm going to show him my screenplay. As I, the whole, I run into Crispin Glover two days after I move here. Some, <laughs> okay, so this is the thing, Pepper. And people have shared, I've had guests on before where you're like, there's some magic happening for you. There's a bunch of bullshit, but there's a little bit of magic. And it's that little bit of magic that keeps you hooked. Like yeah. you had in your head, Crispin Glover's about to be in this. Now, who knows? But you met him two days later. Like, yeah, we that's both, magic. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Where and was he? How did you meet We were him? both seeing the same movie. I forget what we were in the Beverly Center seeing the same movie. Tell me you went right up to him and you're like, Yo, I, I went right up to him. Yeah, of course Very you did. Very odd and awkward. Of course you did. I would never do that now. Of course not, but that's the but that's I'm two your days. New. I'm two days. I'm new. Yeah. I'm two days. I'm just like, I have this screenplay. And I swear to God, the conversation we had, he's so bizarre. It was like having two conversations at once. We literally had two conversations. He was talking something and then he's talking to me and it was like, I was like, which conversation am I in? Oh, <laughs> so weird. Basically it was just at the end of it was like, send it to my agent. Um, <sighs> and so I ended up finally, uh, my friend that was letting me sleep on the floor, he's like, he's like, man, hey. you've been here for two weeks. You got to find a place. Uh, and so the only place I could have, oh, and this is how long ago it was. So, I went to Westside Rentals. Everyone knows Westside Rentals. Oh, they've been around for a minute. I didn't know they've been around that long. In 1990, Westside Rentals was a little shack, um, either on Vermont or Western. And you paid 50 bucks, and they just gave you uh, like 10 sheets of paper that were stapled together that had addresses on them. <laughs> so you took that in your Thomas Guide, and you drove around looking for the things. Pepper, how you didn't give up. I, I just, I'd be oh, overwhelmed. Yeah. It gets, it, I, I was going to see like... Um, you know, come see this apartment by the ocean in Santa Monica. It's two blocks from the beach. And to go there and it's literally like just somebody's garage. No, sir. That 
had a wooden door that didn't even shut. It was like a more like a gate, and I was okay. just like, and it had in the floor like kind of swooped down into like a drain in the middle of the floor, <laughs> like, like obviously. I was just like, oh my god, and it was like some outrageous price at the time. So I was just like, this is how much LA is because I had come out to LA with a whopping eight hundred dollars. I figured that would that would cover everything. I did seven fifty to go to San Diego. I was like, "That's got it. That's yeah, we're good. Totally we're worth good. it." Oh, bless our hearts. We didn't know. And I finally ended up. The only place I could afford is a fraternity house at UCLA. But they would allow you because you were just because you were of age. I didn't know they, they would allowed outrun. me because they sucked at being a fraternity. So oh. they was they were the most unpopular fraternity on campus <laughs> that they had to rent out their empty rooms because no one wanted to pledge. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So it was, but it was affordable. Oh, it's totally. It was like, um, I want to say it was, I want to say 400 bucks, but that even sounds expensive. That feels like, it feels like a lot. For 1990, but the room was literally smaller than a dorm room Ugh, the, to like the point that the beds had to be lofts. They were built up, so all your stuff went underneath, Ugh. and you had a roommate. Oh, Pepper. Which was just kind of a sign to you. Ugh, it's like college all over again. Oh, it's totally college all with, over again. Oof, oof. And, and you had, what, a shared shower experience with everything? Oh, like it's a totally sh- shared shower. It was oof. straight out of college. And so you're living in a frat house, and um, meals were included, but our cook was like literally a guy that had come out of prison. Mm. And so he cooked like he was still in prison. Sure. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> kidney like, beans. So you didn't really want all those, you didn't really want to eat. Stuff, it would get crazy. There would be, I mean, there would be nutty nights that I'd come home and it was just, it was, it was like, what's happening there? Because it's a frat house, so you walk in and everyone's in the main uh, common room and there's just strippers everywhere. Oh my gosh! Or you would come home and people would be bloody on the in the lobby and there'd be bats and they're like, what just happened? He's like, we just had a bat fight. Sure. <laughs> it's like, sure. It's sure. like this other fraternity came over and we just went after him with bats. I was like, it's a fucking bat. He's like, yeah, you got hit with a bat in the head. <laughs> it was just like, Pepper. I was like, I'm so glad I missed that night. <laughs> So glad I was at my job yeah. trying to make my yeah. film career happen while you guys had a bat fight. Well, finding a freaking job out here to begin with was tough because I'd had experience. Like I'd bartended. I was bartending in, in waiting tables when I was in college. Sure. But out here, it was a whole different ballgame. Okay, we're going to get into it. We'll gonna, get into it later. Yeah, but okay. that, I, was still having, um, I was still having problems getting jobs and... And I think just to go back to when I was living on my friend's floor, also like within like a few weeks, I was deciding what I wanted to do. I was like, do I want to keep doing stand up or do I want to write, concentrate on writing? Because in my head, you couldn't do both. Well, at the time, (laughs) I mean, that was true, though. You had to be a one trick pony. I don't. Yeah, I guess. I, maybe that's what. To, to this day, I look back and think, "What was I thinking?" And maybe that was it. Maybe that it was, was the like, pipeline in Hollywood. You had to be one thing, and you had to that, crush that thing. Now it's everybody does everything. Okay, then that, that's probably my thinking because I was like, today I look back, I was like, what, "Why didn't? Why I? did I not yeah. think I could do both?" So I, I think the second or third night I was in L.A., I went to the Laugh Factory, and I, you know, paid again, and I told them to sit me in the back. And I stayed all night. I stayed and watched the whole thing just to kind of get my feel of what was going on. And it was like 2 a.m. And this woman gets up. Most everybody's gone. It's like a third of the audience is left. And then me way in the back. And she gets up and starts talking about 
that she lives on Melrose and that no one knows that, uh, why don't people know that she's going to be famous? And it was such an odd set. It was completely, it seemed completely new to me. And she had the most cool delivery and her phrasing was different than anything. And she talked about things that weren't, and there were no set jokes. It was, it was bizarre. And it was just like, now I look back on it, it was that alt comedy movement that was sure. kind of coming up in the early 90s. And there's just crickets. No one's laughing, but in the back, I'm in tears. And I'm rolled over on my booth, just cracking up. She's the funniest person. I was like, how does nobody get this? And because it, it was just so bizarre what she was talking about. And then um, after that show, I was like, that was kind of my decision. I was like, if the comedians are that good at 2 a.m., sure. I'm just going to go right. Sure. And it's like, I don't want to be. And plus, I had been dealing with comedians in Texas. And I was like, they're not great people to hang out with. <laughs> Sure aren't. Sure aren't. They're very depressing. Sure are. I was kind of, sure ar- I was kind of already tired of them. And so mm, I was like, that was relatable. the thing that kicked it over. I was like, I was like 2 a.m. and they're that, that stellar and no one gets them. And I was like, I'm just going to go right. And then a year later, I saw her on TV. What's her name? Janine Garofalo. Shut <laughs> your mouth. Yeah. She was brand new. Wow. And she just, oh, she killed me. She murdered me. So you're, you're seeing that this is kind of the Olympics in comedy. So you're like, okay, yeah. I'm just going to write. Yeah. But, and we'll get into the jobs that floated you, but get us. So at what stage do you shift into music? Like what gets you kind of oh, on a different way, trajectory? Oh, that's way, I'm still like years away from that. Okay. And was that just somebody dropped a, a hint? Well, that, that was this? me. I would, I mean, first when I was looking for jobs, no one was paying me. So I was doing, uh, production jobs uh, where they were like like deferred payment uh, just it just it's such an explo- exploitate exploited what's the fucking word it's a system that exploits new young yeah. artists who are just desperate to get their teeth in it's like doing background work when they're like yeah eventually you'll get a line yeah exactly just, no so but i would take them because i was like what else are you gonna fucking I do? Need, I need food. And you need ex- yeah, they feed you on set. I was like catering. I was like, it's worth it for me to go to catering. I've said this so many times. And yes. I took, a, I mean, I took a job that was deferred payment that was out in the desert, and I was like, I'm gonna spend money on gas, but once I'm there, they're gonna give me a place to sleep and I can eat. And so I went out there for three days to work on that thing. Oh, but I remember sitting in that little room, which, by the way, here's here's where the only time I almost quit was the first night I moved in the fraternity house um, there were 11 mice in my room <laughs> they were That's such a specific number pepper they you were, counted them because I counted them of course because they were running everywhere they obvious because these they, they're the frat guys they would just find a sofa on the street and drag Bring it into it. the house and they were obviously had a nest in the couch so I'm up on the couch like freaking the fuck out of course they're, they're rodents just, and that was the only time in my 32 years out here in LA that I always thought maybe I should go back home. <sighs> but that lasted like a night because the next day I was like back on my game. I was like, I'm going to go out and get some rat poison and we're going to get rid of these <laughs> things. And I'm going to send go. them off and a boom. And after that, I was just like, nothing's going to stop me. Oh, I love that and a lot. It was, uh, I had, um, some production had called me. Um, and that's another thing that people don't realize. Like people just called you, you left your number and voicemail everywhere and, and people would just call you out of the blue on the landline. That and would give me so much anxiety. You'd, you'd pick it up and they'd be like, hey, we, we have, have a job for you. Yeah, we got a, a production job. He's like, it doesn't pay anything. 
and uh, but just PA job, uh, be some good experience. And I was like, uh, no thanks. And I was like, I, I need money. And so I hung up. And it just so happened that was when uh, Drew Barrymore had just gotten she'd gotten out of uh, rehab and she had written that little girl lost book. And I, oh, had, I don't I don't know about this. I had gone on I had gone out and bought it just on a lark. I'd seen her on the cover of whatever people magazine or something. And I was like, Oh, I'll buy this book. And I read it in like a day. And I was like, this is fantastic. Is it a memoir or is it a memoir? It was like her first one she'd written. She was like 15. I think when she wrote it. Okay. So you read read, the book. I read that book and I had literally put it back on the shelf. I remember putting it back on the shelf. My hand is still on the thing and the phone rings again. And I picked it up and they're like, Hey, I know you said no. Yes. And I was like, I was like, oh, is this the blah, 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 the temporary? It's like, yeah. And she's like, well, like, Drew Barrymore's on it. And I was like, really? And they're like, yep. I was like, okay, I'll take it. Here are all these little <laughs> magical moments that you keep getting little nudges of like, stick it out, Pepper, stay yeah. here, do so, more. So I end up as her PA. I would pick her up in the morning and take her to set. I volunteered for it because I knew she was underage. So she'd be the first one to leave. <laughs> You're brilliant. That's very smart. I wouldn't have thought of that. I got to get the kid off this, off the set. And, uh, that was just like a terrible, terrible movie. Um, with, it ended up changing titles. Now it's called like no place to hide. It became one of those straight to videos, but it's her, Chris Christopherson and OJ Simpson. That's pre-murder. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-murder. He was like, uh, he was definitely the guy with the most money on set. Cause he, he was only there for like, we shot with him for like two days and he pulled up in some red Lamborghini. <laughs> and and nice. he was the nicest person you ever met in your life. He was like, yeah, so, he was beating the fuck out of his yeah, wife. So yeah. he was like, I got plenty of energy to be nice to all you. So when that, ha- when that happened, I was just like, no way it's OJ. He's the <laughs> nicest guy in the life. And everyone was like, didn't you work with him? I was like, yeah, I work with him. He's the nicest person. He would not do that. And, he, somebody, and then he's all of a sudden in like back of a Ford Bronco. I was like, you know what? He may have done he may that. Have done it. <laughs> You and Johnny Cochran. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, I quit. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you're so you do this movie, and then does that transition you into music though, or like what was nope, it about that? Still experience? not even there. Wow. Okay. And it was, but still deferred payment. You got paid zero for that. Just got paid meals zero. I finally got paid for a PA job. I worked um, as a day runner for Tales from the Crypt. Oh. So I'd go in there when they need extra PAs, and that was my first kind of foray. Where I was like, um, they were pretty cool. It was like in Culver City. Um, up on this roof where they kind of shot everything um, and around. And I actually wrote some specs and were, you were able to, even though you're a PA, you're able to turn them in to the producers and they read amazing. them. And they were really cool. They're like, they're like, yeah, they give you notes and stuff. That's like film school in it was real great. time. That's awesome. It was great. I mean, I didn't sell them anything, but it was like cool that they did that. And yeah. like, I remember driving one of the writers to the set and he had started off as a PA too. And they'd, they'd done his script. Wow. And so it was kind of a cool thing. And then I'd end up, also, scenes from a mall. I was a PA. That's Bette Midler and Woody Allen. Okay, were acting in it. Uh, Paul Mazursky thing, and that was the first time I was like, uh, that's probably the last PA job I did. But I was in there for two days. We shot at the Beverly Center, and then we all went across the street to that hotel, and they served lunch. And I was just like, oh wait, this is what it's supposed to be like. <laughs> This is actual like, crafty. I was like, I was, I was like in the, the desert, like you know, eating M and M's, and now it's like this full blown dining room. I was like, oh, this is that awesome. Miller changes things. <laughs> uh, and after that, I had gone on again. I'm just cold calling people. There's no, 
there's no programs or anything out here to help you with anything. So okay. I called Kevin Reynolds, the director, because he had graduated from Baylor. And I would just call him. It's like, hey, can I come in and talk to you? I, I'm from Baylor, too. And he's like, yeah, sure, come in. And so I showed him my resume. I showed him what I was doing. I was trying to write. And he was like, he's like, why are you doing all these, all these PA jobs? And I was like, oh, I was just trying to make He's like, do you want to write or not? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, then just go home and write. Stop doing PA jobs. And I was like, that's okay. smart. That's smart. Yeah, but like, what are your parents going to float you? Like, how do you pay for your life? <laughs> He was, he was right. Cause PA, I mean, get any other job. Cause PA is like, you know, this 18 hours, you know, however yeah. you're, you're gone forever yeah. all day long. You're not doing anything else. So I'm writing and I'm taking classes, still living in Westwood at that fraternity house. And I get a job, uh, working in the movie theaters, managing at man theaters, which was fantastic. Cause it's like free movies. Hell yeah. And so I'm taking classes at UCLA and I write, um, like my third script and I thought it was pretty fantastic. So I called, um, I called, called, uh, John Lee Hancock and I said, Hey, I'm also from Baylor. You're from Baylor. You have to read my script. And he was <laughs> you like, actually have to. <laughs> and he was like, okay, send it to me. So I sent it in to him and he was like, this is great. And he gave it, he's like, I gave it to Mark Johnson, uh, who's a producer did, he was Barry Levinson's old producer. So he did rain man and, Oh damn. And, uh, Hancock uh, and stuff like that and uh, he gave it to him they call me and they're like um, he was just starting to get into uh, kid stuff mm. he wanted to do children's stuff so I was like and he's kind of Mark's super nice he's a great producer and um, so I I went to Paramount with him and he gave me a development deal and he was like tell everybody you got a development deal with me wow. and, and we're gonna we're gonna He's like, Paramount's not going to let you write your own. I can't do this. It has to be from a book because you're a new writer. So I would sit, I'd go home. I I wasn't writing at all. I was just pitching. And no one had taught me to pitch yet. And so I'm reading children's books like crazy, trying to find something to adapt. And then I'd go meet with his story editor which is fantastic because she'd be like, where do you want to meet? And I was like, I'd like to have breakfast at the peninsula. She's like, all right, I'll meet you there. Amazing. <laughs> I was just picking whatever the most expensive restaurant was in town. And that was kind of the way it worked. You'd just kind of go in there and, 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 and pitch him and uh, he would turn it down. Because <laughs> I was pitching him huge movies because that's just the way I think. And he was trying to do these smaller things because he was just dipping his toe in the children's section. So he had, he had two writers in his office. It was me who did his children and stuff. And then he had this other writer who was kind of a writer's writer who did all the quirky adult stuff that he couldn't really, he was like a square peg and round it. He couldn't find a spot for him. And so we would pass each other and, you know, going in and out and I'd be like, Hey, and he'd be like, Hey, and it's like, I'd go in and pitch. And to my credit, most of the stuff I pitched him has been made into a movie now. So, so it's like, but I was just like, this is like well, know, pre CGI, like, taking off and being a big thing. Uh, but after a year, I was just burnt out. I was like, I hadn't written anything. I'd just been pitching and reading stuff. And I was just like, obviously we're not going to see eye to eye on anything. So I was like, I just, I was like, I'm just stop going, stop going in. And they did not miss me at all. <laughs> so, um, the other quirky writer went on to be Vince Gilligan. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> so, sure. So, so it was just like at that time, Ooh. it was just me and Vince going in and out stuff and he was having the same problems he'd only done one film which was awesome but 
it wasn't until he got on X Files that wow. he started to take off. As soon as he got that, I was just like, "Damn it, that makes sense." He's a <laughs> he's that, a weird that's dude. A weird, that's, that's a weird, a weird dude. show. He's a weird dude. And uh, uh, Mark would always try to get him to buy better clothes, but he liked shopping at <laughs> Sears. After that, I was burnt. I just broken up with uh, my girlfriend at the time, and I'd left that deal at Paramount, and I was just like I was burnt like, out. I was like, I'm burnt out on this pitching thing. I just want and that's when my friend Scott said, Hey, want to start a music magazine? And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so we started one of the first music magazines on the internet uh, called noise magazine. It was like us and another one. And this is back in the, I mean, it's still like it's 1996, 97. So the internet's kind of like ugly looking still. And I just started going out and seeing bands and uh, I would interview them. And I'd tell them, it's like, who's your favorite band? Tell me who to go interview next. And I started just getting into the Los Angeles music scene a lot to the point where I was just like, I'm on the wrong. I'd lived in, at this point, I'd lived in Westwood for seven years. And I'd, that's seven years of the midnight scream all the time with the final exams, like doing, because you're living in a college town. Oh. Hor- horrible. I was like, I was like, I have to go somewhere else. And all the clubs and Spaceland and everything, they're kind of on the east side and stuff. So sure. that's when I kind of discovered Las Vegas and Silver Lake. And I moved over there and I was like, oh, this is, where I this is Los Angeles. Yeah. I was like, where have I been living? I was like, this is the real Los Angeles. And from interviewing all those bands, I just, I had interviewed the Muffs and me and Kim started dating. And so I'm dating Kim and her bass player is married to this girl, Lisa Marr, who was part of Cub. And she had just moved down from Canada. And so when they'd go on tour, Lisa would go off on tour with them, do merch. And then I would fly out to see Kim on tour. And so Lisa and I got to know each other. And she's like, I'm starting a new band. And I was like, I've been playing guitar since I was 10. <laughs> and I was like, let me come audition. And that's where it, so I went from just like writing about the music scene to like suddenly then I'm in the music scene. Oh, that's neat. And then from there, I think we got like a, a record deal with, like within six months, we were on Sympathy for the Record Industry, which is like an indie label, but it's like the coolest indie label. You were in signed California. within six months, like yeah. that's you it's, because it's like the end of the nine. This is nineteen ninety eight, so it was like a feeding frenzy. Still, the money wasn't there, the structure wasn't there, but we're kind of getting into that dot com era where some more money is going to kind of flush in and kind of prop everything up for a little half a second, but. Sympathy was cool. It was like you weren't going to make a whole lot of money, but they were going to, John was going to give you support. He's going to put your album out. He put you in the studio. He got you with the producer. We'd go on a tour. You know, our label mates were the White Stripes. They'd just come on. The Who? I'm so sorry. I've yeah. never heard of them. I remember being, I think I was in Green Bay. I was calling them for like to send us more CDs or get, I was like, our CD is not in this, our album's not in this store. <laughs> so I call these bands. He's like, I just signed this new band. The White Stripes are going to be great. It's like, I, gotta, I was like, yeah, whatever. We need money. <laughs> <laughs> Stop talking about them. Nobody cares. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, I stayed with them for like, we we stayed through the two thousands. We broke up, and then I started my own band. That went on for like that toured more regionally for twelve years. Wow! And it was that at the end of that little thing that uh, my arm started freaking out, and that's yeah. when I kind of went back to Second City. And being in that environment, mm-hmm. I was like. It had been so long of me being away from it that being a, I mean, being in Second City is like you're surrounded by creative people. Yeah. All trying to do creative things. And it's impossible not to get caught up. Yeah. 
in the frenzy. And I was just like, oh, Pepper, this is why you moved out here. Don't you remember you're supposed to be a writer? And I just started, I started writing again. That's lovely. Okay. And so get us up to today. So you, um, and we're going to, in the next section, we'll get into all the customer service jobs you've had, but today you are, are you still doing improv directing? Like, are you still writing? I work, I work in finance in a day. I work New York hours. So I work from 6am to 2.30. So I'm off by 2.30. 6am though, pepper. I go home and switch modes. And then I'm, I'm either teaching at second city uh, online or I'm teaching at Youth Academy of Dramatic Arts, which is Yada, which is for kids, which is uh, in person. Do you just not sleep? Is that not? I don't part? sleep a whole lot because the, otherwise I'm writing. Because I'm also in uh, Roadmap Writers Program, which uh, which I love. That's my other community, which helps writers find uh, re- uh, representation. Yeah, but that's like a really hard. You're not. You're underselling it. That's a hard program to get into. Well, am I thinking of the right one where it's like it's a feeder to agencies and it's a feeder to am I thinking of the right it's program? a feeder it's not hard to get into it's it's like I mean you have to go up some levels to get into the top tier part of it didn't you have to do a pitch packet to even get in no 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 oh I'm thinking no of they teach thing. you to pitch oh so it's one of those things where upon going through I went through it with uh, my friend you probably know her Carla Kikowski yeah uh, we went through it together and we were both just mad. We were both glad we found it and mad because we're like, where was this? Years ago. 20 years ago. Yeah. It's like, this is what we needed. Because, I mean, they really uh, turned on my uh, brain with how to pitch and how to take general meetings. And now I'm great at them. I was like, I needed this back when I was at Paramount. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But we don't know till we know. Exactly. Um, okay. So you're teaching, you're doing finance stuff during the day. And the goal, what's the, if you were to summarize the goal of your creative life right now, what would you say? Just uh, make a living as a writer, just selling features go. or pilots and stuff like that. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, folks, that's going to do it for the appetizers. We hope you enjoyed them. We're going to go on to the entrees after, oh, wait, no, we're not. No. You didn't tell us about any uh, band groupies. Did you have any group? You said stalkers <laughs> for improv. Oh, sure. But did you have band groupies? Band groupies. Band group stories. Let me think. Um, well, see, here's the thing about being an indie band. Uh, your groupies are totally different. There are one thing. There are no groupies. Buck, which is my first band, our fan base was either uh, 14-year-old girls or 30-year-old guys who worked at record stores. Cool. <laughs> Hopefully you're not. Well, you do whatever you want. Yeah. Okay, no. great. <laughs> no, you can't do whatever you want. Yep, no. that's right. That's right. Uh, so when you ran into like an adult female, you're like, oh my God. You like us too? <laughs> but it's, it's different because like when you're in like some big rock star band, you have a bus and someone's driving for you and, uh. and uh, you're going to stay in town in a hotel. But it's like if you're an indie band, you're in a van and you have to leave immediately <laughs> to after get to, the next show. <laughs> to, to get to the next show because you have to knock off at least, you know, you, you know, gigs over like at like whatever midnight, one in the morning. You have to drive, especially Eight when you're hours. in the middle yeah. of the country, when the yeah. the clubs are so far apart from each other. Because yeah, sure. they're, I mean, they can be like twelve hours between each other. Sure. So it's like we got to knock off three or four hours tonight, right now, just yeah. to have to drive nine hours tomorrow. So, sorry, girl in the blue sweater that I like, I've got to go. <laughs> Your mouth isn't worth it. I have and, to go. Uh, okay. So you would always have to uh, set up. Uh, the girl for the next time you came back through town. So you kind of like, you would lay the foundation. So the next time you came through town, it would happen much faster. It's the longest foreplay of all time. Really? Totally. This is going to be a month of foreplay, but I promise you yeah. we're, we're going to make and out I still next. remember being, we were playing, we were, we were in New York and I had, I'd met a girl the previous night in New Jersey 
we were playing Hoboken's, uh, or we were playing in Hoboken, we were playing um, Maxwell's in Hoboken, and my the tour manager goes, let me introduce you to my friend. And so I went over there, I was like, oh, it's an adult. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> like, nice. And we hit it off, and I was just like, I was like, all right, we're in town. This is great, because we're in New York playing multiple shows, so I'm going to be around. So I was like, please, come out and see us at, uh, I think we were playing Coney Island in New York. She was like, yeah, I'll come out. So I was like, this is it. I'm going to, we're hooking up. Um, and she comes to the show. I think it was, um, I think she came in late because we had played our, we had played our, we played our set already. And this other girl comes up to me, obviously just a beeline for me after we got off the set. And she was like, she was like, Hey, I really enjoyed your set. And I, blew her off so fast because I already had this girl all lined up. I thought, I was like, oh, thanks a lot. Glad you liked it. Just just blew her off. And I go over to the girl I thought I had all set up. She was like, hey, that was, I'm sorry I missed your set. This is my boyfriend. (laughs) I was like, and then I'm like looking back. I was like, where's that other girl? (laughs) And she's talking to my drummer. (laughs) No! (laughs) I was was like, son of a bitch! (laughs) And then... That girl leaves with her boyfriend. Uh, little do I know that they break out. That as soon as they walk out of the club, they break up. Awesome. So I do end up hooking up with her. Oh, so it worked out. Later. She, okay, fly, she like flies out oh. um, for the weekend. That's when my friends in Texas like, oh my God, you are a rock star. Someone's flying out to have yeah. sex with you? I was, yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's rock star out. status. That's rock star status. <laughs> yeah. And so, but at the time, I'm just like, I was like, oh, what happened to the other girl? And my drummer's, and he goes home with her. And then, so I have to go back in the van, load the van up, oh, go, back to, go back to Hoboken. <laughs> <laughs> we stopped at Blimpy's for sandwiches. Oh, the pain And then of the that. next day we have to pick him up at her apartment. He was like, she was really nice. You know, she really liked you. She thought she was cute. I was like, thanks. And he's like, you know, all her roommates came on. We just had a break. You know, they're all models. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, I don't need to hear any of this. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is a scene from Love Actually that will be written to a screenplay later on in life. Shut your mouth. I'm not trying to hear this. Okay, cool. That's a great groupie story. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Well, now we're going to move away from the apps. We hope you enjoyed them. We're going on to the entrees after a quick break. Now we're back, folks. Welcome back. All right. Now, Pepper is extraordinarily prepared, and this makes my job so much easier. So thank you. Sent me a list ahead of time. Went through the questions. Amazing. What was your first job ever? My first job ever. I know you don't like it, but it was a paper route (laughs) when I was eight years old. I don't even know if people have paper routes anymore. I don't know either. If they do, I would tell parents, never let your child do a paper route because then it becomes your job. Oh, because you were eight. I was eight. So it was getting up at four in the morning. They had delivered the papers. My parents had to get up with me. We'd have to roll them ourselves. And then my parents would have to drive me around. It's their job. Yeah, it's basically their job. Oh, my God. How could you do that getting up at four in the morning and then go to school? I think it was during the summer. So this was a summer, summertime paper. Route. I only How? did it for the summer. And then I think my parents were like, find no something else. <laughs> like Immediately. Fucking eight. Just lay around. <laughs> well, for as much as your mama loved you too and wanted you around, what was she doing letting you work at eight or nine years old? 
Which I don't know. Discipline. It was just something that something to it's do. Like, it's like you got a paper route. You can make your own money and save up for Star Wars cards or whatever. I mean, you could. I guess yeah. I get it. Okay. So then um, how many customer service jobs if you have total? I have the number if you don't know it offhand. I don't know. I just know it's been over 40 years of customer service. Okay. Jobs. I counted 28 from the list you gave me, but there's a couple jobs you you referenced in your intro that are not on this list. So I'm going to say, so. we'll just say it. We'll round it to... 40. Let's just say you've been in for 40 years. You did 40 jobs. Sounds good. Okay. Now, after the paper route, so was your trajectory when you knew film and TV, I mean, mean, we're not there quite yet, but when you knew that in your head, what age were you? Um... It probably wasn't until I was in high school. I mean, I knew I was going to be a writer. I wanted to be a writer when I was in drama school in high school. I think we, I read Sunshine Boys in like the ninth or 10th grade. And I was like, I want to be a writer. Okay. And then I just didn't tell my parents until eight years later. I mean, of course. I get it. <laughs> Super get it. Um, the reason I'm asking that is because a lot of your jobs leading up to you getting out here would have, in theory, propped that up because it was a lot of like, bars and restaurants and that kind of stuff. So what was your job after paper route? That was my first like I job, think, job. legit job. I worked in my uncle's donut shop. Oh, it was your uncle's? Mm-hmm. What was it called? I have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> what were you, how old were you and what were you doing? I think I must have been like 12 or 13. I worked in the back. I helped make the donuts and I worked up front like putting them in the bags for everybody. I don't think, I may have run the register. I yeah. don't know, but it was just, it was literally me, him and his wife. They straight up do things. Y'all do stuff different in Texas because 12 or 13 and you're doing, I mean, maybe I just am underestimating oh, what I'm people. I'm sure I was under the table. <laughs> you had to have been. Uh, but also like cash. not having the capacity to really know what you were doing. I mean, your fingers barely work at 12. Yeah. Like how do you, totally. that's, well, it's because you were playing guitar. Yeah. You already know. And okay. Yeah. I don't think his job was, I don't think it was taking off um, that well. And uh, oh, he bless. eventually let me go. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to family. They always do you the dirtiest. They would always joke that he had fired me. <laughs> I mean. I'd be like, I'd be like yeah, I wasn't fired. <laughs> but you kind of were. Okay. What was after that? Um, what was I think that was, was that the bagging? Yeah. It's like grocery store bagging. That job I was fired from for sure. Okay. Wait. Now you put in parentheses next to this tips. Oh, I had tips for people like, uh, um, you did make tips back then because you carried you, you could you carried the Their bags all the way to the car. Okay. No one does that anymore. Um, but the tips was uh, when you when you go to the grocery store, do you take the cart all the way back to the grocery store? I take I put it in the little you put it in the little slot thing. Yeah, yeah. Is that um, shitty? Should I take it all the way to the front? No, that's fine. I I usually will take it all the way back to the store. But my tip was unless if it's raining or if it's super cold, I will take the the cart all the way back. But if it's really nice outside, I will leave it out in the parking lot. And that's because I know as a bagger just to take a break and get outside and just spend 20 minutes collecting all the, it was like a vacation for me when I would, when I'd be like, Oh, they'd be like, go collect the carts. I'd be like, Oh, thank God. And I'd like <laughs> go outside and shh, and I was like, so I always kind of, if it's a nice day, leave your cart out in the parking lot. Okay. See, I misread this. So you have other, do you have other tips for people like grocery store? Cause you were, so you were physically bagging cause yep. Kevin, Kevin McGeehan, former guest of the, of the show yep. shared that there, he was actually trained on how to put oh, yeah. things in the bag. Did you, so you had to go through that training too. Totally. What was the, I mean, was it literally just heavy on the bottom? 
Yeah, it's not that much of a training. Did okay. Kevin build it up like it was science no, or something? No, he said the same thing. He was like, no, it's like nothing. And I was like, I want it to be he science. Was, he was like 10, he was like five, 10 minutes. It's like, put this and you just like sit there and like, you build like, you build a, uh, uh like a, a structure to it. Okay. So build a bag. And then all, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And all the soft stuff goes in the mill, stuff like that. And, uh, but I was, I maybe worked for that job for not even a month, I don't think. And I, I must have been older because I drove to it. Okay. So I must have been 15 or 16. And the reason I got fired was it, we were closing and they told me to go do something, probably get carts up and put them together. And I came back and the doors were locked. They locked me out. And so I was like knocking on the door and like for some reason no one was up front. Like all the cashiers already taken their drawers out and gone in the back. The manager was gone. All the stockers were and like I could see I was like banging on the door and I stayed out there for like ten or fifteen minutes. So just banging like no and so I was like, Oh well, I've done everything I need to do. I'll I was just gonna leave. And so I left and I came back in the next day and the manager was like, I gotta fire you. You you left without, you know, clocking out. I was like, But you locked me out and he's like doesn't matter. <laughs> I would have been hot. I would have, I would have called my mom and been like, come down here and yell at them because I just feel like you didn't, what else could you have done? There's there was nothing else. Yeah. There's no exception like, they could like make. My first experience of being fired. So I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> you didn't take it personally. You're like, I no. guess so. I'm going home now. I'm a, I'm a kid. So I was, I was like, I still got a roof over my head. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true. There's the stakes. There's not a whole lot of struggles when you're that, yeah, that's right. you're that young. But when you go home, is your mom like, you about to go get another job then? They weren't really pushing it, but I wanted it because okay. I think my, uh, you know, you just want your own money. Yeah. You know, you got to buy your albums and things like that. I guess. You got to go to the arcade and play and your games. You're soon to be a rock star with groupies. So like you had to, you had to get those reps <laughs> exactly. in. Okay. Now the next job that you have listed, you were the only other guest I've ever had on who worked. I, I did a similar job, although mine was outside. Um, what was your next job? A haunted house. Okay. Now was Man. this in Texas? This was in Texas, and this was technically, it was something I did. We did not get paid. It was a charity. It was March of Dimes. Oh, well, that's, you're a hero. And so, but to me, it was customer service because. Oh, yes. Um, and that's, I mean, that's kind of where, why I like kind of like uh, working with people so much because I've, I've dealt with herds of people coming toward me my entire life, mm -hmm. and that's what customer service is. You get herds of people coming at you all the time, and and a haunted house is like that. So even though it was, it's, I wasn't getting paid, I was doing it. Um, I did it every Halloween for, I think, three years in a row. Me and my friend, uh, Jay Carlson, would go. And we were one of the, um, we were the hallway. We were, they were called booze. So you're, we're in the hallway that's completely pitch black. Oh, that's a good one. Because you'll get people. Place. That's you'll the get, best yeah, place. Yeah. And this was like the 80s. So it was like no rules. You could touch people. Ooh, and not in, a, not in a creepy way. Yeah, of course. Not in a creepy way, but... Um, it was like uh, he would he would scare them. Like when people come down, there is very much like uh, animal behavior. So everyone's uh, crowded in a pack because you don't want to separate yourself from the herd. That's you, wanna, right. you don't want to be singled out. That's and right. then once you get scared, everyone splits apart for a second because they're just like, ah, run. And then the herd comes back together really fast. Yep. In that split second where it splits apart, I would slip in. Brilliant. In the middle of them. Brilliant. And, and they couldn't see you. They couldn't see me because it's pitch black. My eyes are all adjusted. And then I would usually like 
uh, take a girl's hand and, and hold hands with her. She'd think I was her boyfriend still. And we'd just continue down the hallway for a second until then I would turn on my flashlight and scare the crap out of her. Oh, that's such a good get. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Did you ever, now if you were in the mix with people, did they ever hit you? Cause like sometimes it's a fear you would, response. You would, you would, that's, that's when you literally as customer service, you profile people. I mean, I'm just going to say, yep. that's just, I mean, that's just what it is. It's just yep. profiling people. And, um, um, and not in a racial way. You can just kind of no. read people right off the bat. If they're mad, you can tell. Yeah, all the way. Except for, I guess it is racial because uh, groups of black women are the best people the ever to have. Fun. They're the, so fun. The most fun. They are fun. living their best lives in a haunted house. And they just want to be scared. They just and want to be scared. The most fun. They I agree. are the best. Yes, they I are agree fantastic. With that. And um, I think most of them believe their life's about over due to ghosts. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> it's they're so suspending their own disbelief. It's yeah. the most fun group of humans. They're, and yes. so when and you can tell when they're coming down the hallway because Bible verses are being shouted at you from a distance. <laughs> or an oh no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it goes through your head. You're like, this is, like, Here we this go. is going to be awesome. This will be fun. I have to weigh um, how much fun it is to whether I'm going to get in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's kicking and, and punching. And but I didn't care because they don't mean it. Right. Guys. Oh, yes. Mean it. Guys would go through haunted houses looking Wishing to punch somebody. somebody would. Yes. And I had a friend get knocked out cold in the hallway um, unconscious and laid there and no one knew she had been knocked out because it's completely pitch black and it's yeah. in the middle of the hall. So she just laid there for an undetermined amount of time until she woke up Holy with shit. everybody just walking past her in the dark. So it can get like dangerous and there were people. But, and we had security. If somebody like, if we knew somebody was legit trying to punch us, yeah. we would just call security and be like, this person's gone. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, you know, if you're kicking and yelling, it's like, obviously you're, you know you're scared so yeah we would do scare skips we would be like if we could just tell like guys some guys would ball up their fists mm -hmm. and they would like try and the way we were costumed you couldn't tell who was a girl and who was a boy not exactly. that it's justified either way but that you just couldn't tell who anybody was and we would like our our managers would radio and be like nope skip 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 like they would just yeah give us you heads skip up. it's like you don't get yeah. to play that's right because you like, came to fight you came to fight so you don't get to enjoy the haunted house we're just gonna let you walk right through a just a tunnel yeah and, until you, you leave uh, okay, so Pepper, we have more to discuss. You understand the assignment. So we are going to make this a two-parter. You folks have adjusted to this. You know what it's like. You're going to come back next week and uh, you're going to listen to Pepper regale us with even more stories. So Pepper, how can people get in touch with you? Do you want people to know your socials? Do you want like, how sure. do you, okay, t tell us how we can get in touch um, with you. I'm Pepperberry1 on Instagram and I'm, uh, I am Pepperberry on Twitter. Okay, perfect. And okay, well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service From Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind. And will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here directly at Service From Hell, send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, if you can't afford a tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Okay, Pepper back with us next week you will regale us with more stories can you give us a little teaser for um the next job you had it involves me and my friend jay again going to our job interview in our miami vice outfits <laughs> that is the best teaser we did not plan that i did not know that's what i was gonna say amazing thank you folks so much for listening good night good night